I want us to open our Bibles together to the book of Acts, the sixth chapter of Acts. <clears throat> We're going to start reading with the third verse. I'll remind you that last night we began a study of spirit and soul and body. And we read from the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, I pray that the God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, your whole spirit, soul, and body. And then he went ahead to say, Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. And that this whole spirit and soul and body of yours be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Now, a lot of people would enjoy and have the idea that we will enjoy being blameless, spirit, soul, and body after the coming of the Lord. But you see, here in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said this, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Thank God. So you see, we're talking about here and now, praise the Lord. Isn't that right? So last night we began this study on spirit, soul, and body, and uh, we found out from the Lord and from His Word that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And we found out that the spirit man is the, is the eternal, never-dying man. And that eternal, never-dying man has a soul made up of his will and his emotions and his mind. And he lives in a physical body. Now you remember in studying the creation, we found from studying the way God created the earth that over in the first chapter of Genesis, where God created the heavens and the earth, He created them. And He had no prior substance of like substance. He had no mineral. He had no chemistry. He had no physical law to work with. He had only the substance of his faith. And the Bible said he created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And from the inside of God is where that creation came from. And then you don't find that anywhere else in the Old Testament. You don't find where God created something like that. What you and I would say out of nothing it wasn't really out of nothing because God's faith is not nothing. You know what I mean? That isn't too good a grammar, but you understand what I mean. God's faith is not nothing. It is something. But the Bible said, you know, we read in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, it said that it was created and everything that we can see was created out of something that you cannot see. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it wasn't Something, it is a substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, that same chapter said. But the main point that I want us to grasp tonight going into this part of studying spirit, soul, and body is the import, the impact of the fact that God created. He brought this earth and this universe into existence. 
He released his faith and then formed the substance. Now from that moment forward, you see, he all, he, from there on, he had that substance to work with and he developed it and formed it and so forth and he made man's body out of that. He made man's body out of the dust of the earth. He already had a substance to work with and he made a man's body out of that. But you see, then he breathed life into that body and he created the man. You follow that? He created that man on the inside of that body. The Bible said he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. Now, that man inside Adam's body died when Adam committed high treason. Spiritual death was lodged inside this man that's in that body. So from this moment forward, what do you suppose God can do? What can he do? He's on the outside looking in. He can't go back to the dust of the earth and, and bring up another body and put another spirit man in there. He doesn't have any right to. The dust of the earth no longer belongs to him. It is not legally his any longer. The apostle Paul said that Satan is the god of this world. God had given Adam the, the right and the authority to have dominion over the earth. And the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth and he gave all of the fullness therein to man. Well, then man turned around and gave it to Satan. He bowed his knee to him and became subordinate to him. And Satan became the God of this world and spiritual death reigned in the heart of mankind. God couldn't go back to the dust of the earth. He didn't have any right. He didn't even have any right to walk around in it. We really do need to learn this, folks. We really do need to learn this and have it to become a reality in our consciousness. God was on the outside looking in where the earth was concerned. He couldn't just go storming in around and down there. He had to honor the dominion that he gave Adam, even though Adam didn't honor it and gave it away. God was honoring it. God's word was on the line. God wasn't going to break his word and become subordinate to the same evil spirit that Adam had become subordinate to. That's what Satan was trying to do. That's what he was reaching for was God when he stepped on Adam. So now follow this. Here's God on the outside of the situation looking in. What can he do? What can he do? He made a proposition almost, in fact, its pattern carries all of the same things in it that happened in the Garden of Eden, except God didn't go at it through an area of deception and disguise himself in the body of an animal. And he went to a man named Abram. And he said, I'm Almighty God. He had to introduce himself. Can you imagine that? God having to introduce himself to somebody? Well, certainly nobody in the earth knew God like you do. Just stories that they had heard from their father Adam down the years. And a few men would take that and walk before God. But after a while, it came to a place where they were only stories and there was no more faith being released in God. And nobody knew him by nature. Nobody had ever seen the handiwork of God. Nobody knew what kind of a power God he was. Nobody knew what he could do. 
And did you know that the Bible says God did not show his power in the earth until he dealt with Pharaoh in the ministry of Moses? Nobody had ever seen the uncanny power of God and he showed himself strong. He showed himself powerful for the first time and it absolutely upset this whole planet when he did it. Are you following, are you following what's happening here? And he has to come up to a man named Abram and, and ask for an entry into the earth. He said, I'm almighty God. And in Genesis 17, 4, he said, now as for me, See, he didn't push this off on Abram. Abram do what he wanted to do. Abram could have gone and told him to go fly a kite if he wanted to, and God had to left him alone. But God said, as for me, I'll bless you exceedingly. I'll protect you. I'll make you rich, spirit, soul, and body. And I'll take care of you financially, and I'll take care of you socially. I'll be your God, and you'll be my people if you walk upright before me. And you know what Abram said? All right, I'll do it. And he said, well, as for me, I'll go along with that. Okay, you're my God and I'm your man. What now? And God said, we're going to seal this thing in blood. We're going to make a covenant here and we're, you're going to shed your blood and mark it and say that it's that way from here on. Now God's got an entree into the earth. He's got a race of people that are, that are, that are, that are, that are subject to him. And by the avenue of that race of people, by the time that the, through the ages God worked and he worked and he operated, he'd have to sidestep Satan and work around him. You see, don't ever get the idea that Satan is strong as God. All God would have to do is just, and that'd be all of him. I mean, send his saddle home, he'd be through John. But if he had done that, he would have also destroyed Satan's stepchild, Adam, and all of his race because he was his spiritual subordinate. And so God chose to limit himself to fight the fight on the level of mankind and fight it on his level and break the power of the devil on that level and destroy him and save the man. That's what you call redemption, buying back, getting him back, getting him out, see. And the plan of redemption was, was a secret and it was, between, it was between God and him only. And he began to work in all of the factors. He had worked for centuries getting his word into the earth by the mouth of prophets and having to work around the traditions and the way men would ball it up, you know. And he just stayed with it until he got that covenant completely in the earth. And when he did, then the Spirit of God hovered over a little woman by the name of Mary and was conceived on the inside her a holy thing. Now... The reason I brought all that to you is this. I want you to realize something. I want you to see something with me. Out here in the beginning at the Garden of Eden, over at the very first, all of the, all of the earth and everything on it here has got all of its life to travel. Here at this very beginning, God created. And from that point, you don't hear that word anymore. You don't hear that word anymore. Men are born. 
bodies are born. The spirit man is born, and he's born with that seed of eternal death in him. Except one. Except one. And that's Jesus. He was born. He wasn't created. He was born without that seed of death in him. He went to Calvary. The Bible said he was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now follow me right here, because right here is where I'm going to break away from anything religious you ever heard. And I don't want you to miss it. And if you're not listening with your spiritual ears, you, you, you may miss it. He was made to be sin. Where Isaiah was describing this in the 53rd chapter when he used the word death, most English Bibles translate it singular, but in the Hebrew it is plural, and most of your cross-references will use the plural where and says he, he experienced deaths through his deaths. See, it was more than just the death of the physical body that Jesus experienced on the cross because if it was just physical death that paid the price for your salvation, any prophet of God could have paid that. Abel could have paid that, that price. He died physically in behalf of God. But it was, this, it was this spiritual warfare that bought your salvation, praise God. This spiritual death that Jesus bore hanging on that cross hanging there between heaven and earth, he was made to be sin. And you can see it when Moses put the serpent on the pole and said it would be like the Son of God. And I used to wonder how come he didn't put a lamb on that pole. I didn't like it when he put that serpent up there, the sign of Satan, that snake, that serpent. But he was made to be sin. He was made to be sin. And he bore the nature of sin. He absorbed all that it had to offer and was separated from God. That's the story of Calvary. That's why it is absolutely so tremendous. Physical death in the eyes of God is a very small thing compared to spiritual death. Physical death is repairable. Physical death is nothing more than mineral. It'll live or it'll die or you can raise it up again. It, it, it has very little consequence to the power of God. But my brother, let me tell you something. The spirit of a man has all the consequence in the world to God. God is spirit. God is a spirit. You are a spirit. Then Jesus was born into the pit of hell and remained there three days and nights suffering the eternal penalty for that sin. But you know what is written of him in the New Testament? He was manifest in the flesh, but he was justified or made righteous in the spirit. In the spirit. In the spirit. He was born from the dead. He was born from the dead. He was born from the dead. Let him die. Let him die. 
Let him become sin. Let him become a mortal being, the lowest being, lower than Adam, lower than Adam, lower. That he's called the last Adam. You don't have to do that anymore. Lower. He bore the sin for Adam's treason. He bore everything that man had gained through his union with Satan. He bore it, thank God. He bore it. Sickness, disease, every sin, grief, and sorrow, everything that that union between Adam and Satan had to offer, Jesus bore it. And in the pit of hell, he was born from that death. And this newborn creature, this new species of being that had never existed before, there never had been anything born from sin to righteousness. Adam was the first man to ever be born again. He was born from life to death. He went through the door that way. Jesus went through it and came through it the other way. Death couldn't hold him and he pulled life back through that door. And he's called the first begotten from the dead. Now I want to remind you of that word created. That word created where God legally within his own heart took the power that was residing within him and brought something into existence that was unique and one of its kind and never had existed before. And now here is born out of the pit of hell a thing that is unique and, and never has existed before. And Satan can't stand him. He whipped Satan and all of hell right there in his own domain and lorded it over them, showing an open show and triumphing over them, over principalities and powers, and took the keys of death away from him. Don't you remember what he said to John on the Isle of Patmos? He said, I am he that was dead, but I'm alive forevermore, and I have the key to hell. I got the key to death, praise God. Death can't hold me. I'm beyond that now. This new thing, this newborn creature, this thing standing here, went back through that tomb and got that body, lifted it up, the power of the Holy Spirit quickened that mortal body and turned it into an immortal body. You see, Adam wasn't immortal. He wasn't mortal and he wasn't immortal. He was eternal. Mortal means touchable by death. He sinned and became mortal. And death got him. He died, both spiritually and then physically. Jesus became mortal hanging on that cross. He allowed death. The Bible said he, he made himself subject to death. He became obedient to death and became mortal. In order for Satan to carry him down in there, Satan thought he was going to annihilate him. But all the time, all he was doing was just taking the bait to the trap and got him down in there and got him locked up with him. He's kind of like, you know, he's kind of like an old, an old tomcat that's running so scared from this big bad dog that keeps running after him and running after him and running after him till he gets him up in the corn crib and gets him up in there in a tight spot and then just whip the thunder out of him after he gets him in there where he can't get away. And that's exactly what happened to the devil. He took Jesus off down into the very pit of hell and Jesus bore that thing and suffered it. But after a while, when the the eternal courts of justice and the high courts of heavenly order and law said, that's enough. Praise God, let him go. And I want you to know, bless God, he come coming out of there. Woo! Hell has never been through anything like that since. 
He really did. He stormed hell and took from them their authority. Now watch it. And that body was raised immortal, untouchable by death. But it's not some kind of a phony, doesn't really exist kind of a body. It's still the body of a man, and it's got the holes in the hands. It's got the scars around the head. It's got the slit in the side. It is a resurrected body that is no longer subject to natural law, but supernatural law, the law of the world of the spirit. And he sits down and he eats a honeycomb and he says, handle me, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. And then walked through the door and didn't open it. (laughs) Unlimited, unlimited in his scope and in his power. Unlimited, unlimited, thank God. We're going to follow this study on over into an area called walking in the Spirit. Wow, we. I can't hardly keep from preaching it tonight, but you'd miss all the in between. <laughs> all right, now listen. Do you believe now you have the importance of the word created, brought from the heart of God, from literally nothing else to work with? What do you think that was standing before God in the form of a resurrected, reborn, immortal man? Now listen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is the first time you see it. It's the first time you see it from the book of Hebrews. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the first time you see him do it again. This is the first time you see him create anything out of nothing. Any man that is in Christ is a new creation. And it's the same word. It's the same powerful stroke of God when he reaches into his heart and creates something out of something that didn't exist before and Jesus is the pattern and you were created in him, thank God, a carbon copy of him. Any man that believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And the Bible says we're one spirit with him and we're bone of his bone. Woo, glory be to God. A new race of beings, all with one pattern, to be predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. Except every one of them that have been born, you see, if He's the firstborn from the dead, thank God, got to be a two-born if He's a firstborn. Three-born, four-born, so forth. Hadn't it? Well, thank God. Well, my number's in there someplace. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. You see, even though every one of them born in that mold, born of the Holy Spirit of God, just as real as the Holy Spirit hovered over the body of Mary and it was conceived there a holy thing, there was just as holy when the Holy Spirit hovered over your body. And that old man died the death of the cross. But nevertheless, you live. Not you, but Christ in you. The hope of glory. Born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Created. 
The Bible said we are, I don't know whether I can quote this or not without having a fit. I'm serious. I'm having to exercise a great amount of discipline. If I was doing on the outside what I'm doing on the inside, ooh. Ephesians 2.10. I'm going to say it, bless God, if I take this pulpit with me. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Woo! Hallelujah. And then the devil come tell you, you're just a little insignificant little worm. You're so unworthy. You're so no good. That's a bunch of bull with a capital B. Glory to God. Created in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Whoa, and some of you, some of you hardheads are sitting there and saying, I don't see nothing. <laughs> well, that's all right. We'll just piggyback you in there too, praise the Lord. Take you anyhow. Hallelujah. You'll get it one of these days if you go plumb to heaven first. <laughs> Hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, glory to God. This is the thing that got to me so strong when I first began to find out who I was in Christ. Oh, glory to Jesus. I tell you what, before I... I see, I ain't even read my text yet tonight. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get down to the part I'm supposed to preach. Mm. Well, I'm going to show you this anyhow. You hold your place there in the book of Acts and we'll come over here to 2 Corinthians. I want to show you something. I was reading along here one day and, uh, you know, I wasn't studying. I wasn't doing anything. I was just reading. I was just, just kind of cataloging along, just reading the Word. And I came across this seventh chapter of 2 Corinthians, and I read these words, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. And when I read those words, we've corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. We've wronged no man. I pitched my Bible right straight up. It struck me so hard. I said, Lord, I caught that man in a lie. I happen to know this is, this is Saul of Tarsus speaking. I happen to know he hauled, he spoiled the church of Jesus Christ. He hauled men and women into prisons, stood out there and hold stale Stephen's coat while they stoned him, while they killed him. I said, I caught the man in a lie. He has wronged people. Boy, I want you to know, never in all my life before or thank God since, has the Spirit of the Lord had to speak to me in such a corrective voice? But I want you to know He chastened me that afternoon with His Word. And He spoke up on the inside of me. If you'd have been there, I don't know whether you'd have heard it or not. But brother, I did. I heard it plain. And it was in this kind of voice. He said, you watch who you call a liar. Boy, I want you to know. I tell you, like knocked me out of my chair. And I, I backed off in my chair. He said, 
You watch who you call a liar. The man you're talking about died on the road to Damascus. He did. He died on the road to Damascus. And this man honored the new birth and believed in it so firmly that he could sit down and write a letter with a clear clear consciousness he could write and say that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Receive us. We've wronged nobody. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now he said here, I'll go ahead and use this as a text. Praise God. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear or in the reverence of God. Hallelujah. We don't attempt to perfect a holiness without God. That's nothing in the world but selfishness that you can't do it without God. But in a reverence to God, in a fear of the Lord, in a, in a, in a fearful reverence of God, then we begin to move toward perfecting this holiness. Now you notice after God created the earth, the earth from that moment until this, we've been able to develop it, change it, use it, make it better. That pulpit there used to be a tree. Now it's better. I like that better than preaching off a stump. It looks nicer, doesn't it? What about all this stuff here? This microphone, all that's made out of you. See, all that's part of the earth one time or another. Isn't that true? We've developed that, have we not? All right, what about the, what about the soul of man? What about the mind and the will? We have spent untold billions of dollars and probably up into the multiplied billions. May, I don't know how you, how you would even, a computer would probably jam on this. How many man hours have gone into the study of the development of the mind and the will and the emotions of men? How many untold millions of man hours of study and work, hard work, I'm not talking about light work, I mean hard work, has gone into the development of the human body? We develop the body and we develop the mind. We develop the earth. All this that God created. Do you mean to tell me that you can, you can develop the earth, you can develop the mind, you can develop the body, but you can't develop the spirit? You cannot educate the spirit of a man? That's foolishness. That's pure foolishness. He said, let's perfect holiness. Let's do it in the reverence of God. But I found out from the word that this spirit man can be educated. He can be developed. He can grow. The Bible says we speak the truth unto one another, growing up into him in all things, so that we're no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes down the road. Hallelujah. I can think about some windy doctrines that got me, can't you? Huh? Wasn't there some windy doctrines at one time or another kind of shoved you around a little bit? I wished I'd have been spiritually grown up. I wouldn't have had to wade through all that. There is a way to do it, isn't there? Well, that's what we're going to find out, and we're going to start right now. Let's back up there at the book of Acts where we started. I want to show you a spiritual adult. 
if I showed you Jesus from the Word, naturally you'd say, well, certainly he was spiritually grown. But you have to remember, folks, he was not born grown. The Bible said he grew in wisdom. The Bible said he grew in stature. And the Bible said he was taught of God. Isn't that right? So you see, he wasn't born spiritually adult any more than you were. When you were born of God. So now, if I showed you Jesus, though some of you just left it off and say, yeah, but Brother Copeland, you know. And if I showed you the Apostle Paul and his growth, his spiritual growth, or if I showed you any of these other apostles, you'd say, yes, Brother Copeland, but you see, that was the apostles of God. So I found one that's neither an apostle, neither was he Jesus, He's just an old boy going to church. In the sixth chapter of Acts, verse 3, Brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Verse 5, The saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And names the other men that they chose, whom they set before the apostles when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now somebody said, well, now right there, now right there, see there, see there, the apostles laid their hands on them. But the Bible said that they chose him full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, and that was before the apostles laid their hands on them. Wasn't it? They chose a man full of wisdom and the Holy Ghost, full of faith and full of power. Hallelujah. That was before they laid their hands on him. Praise the Lord. Thank God. Aren't you glad the Bible's written that way? If you'll just read it, there's not any way in the world you'd be able to talk yourself out of it. Verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Boy, he stirred them up all over the country, didn't he? From all around the place. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Glory to God. Then they subordinate men which said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And set up false witnesses which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Then said the high priest of these things so, and he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. And he began to preach. And he preaches a sermon all the way down through the rest of this chapter. Then he says, at the close, in the 55th verse, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, 
I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, as... And they stoned Stephen. He was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You see... He knew something about spirit and soul and body. He knew how to pray this prayer, didn't he? He said, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Did you know the Bible does not say that those stones killed him? He decided it's time to leave. <laughs> he said, receive my spirit, and he did. Now, I rather like that. There's a spiritual adult knows his business. And before he did so, he was adult enough to pray and say, Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Do not lay this sin to their charge. Could you pray that? Could you pray that if your church decided they're going to kick you out for being too spiritual? Could you pray that if the bunch come and drug you out in the middle of the night and stood you up before them and had a bunch of guys paid off to lie against you and you knew it? And they stood there and told stuff that wasn't true about you and slapped you around the place for a little while and took you off out in the dark and took you off out in the hillside and a bunch of guys with a bunch of hoods on stood you up out there and took some whips and started beating you in order to kill you with them. Could you stand there and look into heaven? Are you spiritual adult enough to call on the God of heaven and earth and know in that kind of bondage, in that kind of pressure, know how to be able to operate spiritually and not be bound to these physical eyes, but be able to see into the heavens and have Jesus of Nazareth to honor you enough to where he was not seated on the right hand of God. He said, I see him standing on the right hand of God. He stood up to receive him. Praise God. Oh, I like that. I like that kind of man. I like a kind of guy that's that way and said, well, I'll just leave here. Receive my spirit. And he did. Before he left, he said, don't, don't blame them. They don't know what to do. He just kneeled down there and left. The apostle Paul said to one church he's writing to, you remember, he said, you know, I don't know whether to go or to stay. But he said, because of you and ministering to you, I believe I'll stay. He said, I know not whether to leave or whether not to. He didn't say God might take me. He said, I hadn't made up my mind yet. <laughs> God, we're seeing a spiritual authority here that we've hardly not even allowed ourselves to believe, much less we haven't even allowed ourselves to think about it, much less believe it. Now, we need to know how to develop this spiritual man into that kind of position. In the first place, he was full of faith in the Holy Ghost. In the next place, he was full of faith and power. He did things among the people. He ministered to people. His wisdom in which he spake was irresistible. Men could not turn it down. It got so strong and some of them, they stuck their fingers in their ears. Now, are your words that strong? Or do people just kind of laugh and go on about their business and you just stand there talking? 
The things you have to say, are they that filled with power? Jesus said when they haul you up in front of magistrates and king, don't worry about what you're going to say. It'll be your heavenly father speaking to you. Do you know how to turn your tongue over to the Holy Ghost and let him do the talking in a shape like that? Well, you can see where this man was a spiritual adult, can you not? His, his position in this is one to be admired. Not only that, I tell you really one of the greatest things that I've seen, him, I've seen out of him in this whole scripture here, they pulled him up there and threw him up in front of that bunch, hauled him around, told all kinds of lies about him, and you know he never did open his mouth. He didn't say a thing. He kept his mouth shut all the way from the ninth verse all the way out the rest of the sixth chapter and then down the first verse of the seventh chapter. All they that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. He hadn't said a word. He just stood there and listened to all that stuff, but evidently he had it turned off. Evidently he's talking to God because all of a sudden his face started shining. Don't you know it made that bunch mad? You know, we're standing here tongue-whipping this guy with everything we've got. I mean, we've spent money on some men to come in and lie about it. And got him in there and lied about it. Big courtroom scene and everybody just carrying on, you know, and, and, and telling one witness right after the other, telling the blasphemous things he's done. And he did not open his mouth. He just sat there and glowed. <laughs> Boy, you tell this guy something else, isn't he? Well, you can see Jesus in him. Then said the high priest, Are these things so? That's the first time anybody ever said anything to him. First time anybody ever gave him an opportunity to open his mouth. And he just sat quietly up until this time, waited his turn. You see, baby Christians are blabber mouths. They talk all the time and never listen. You find somebody that's a blabber mouth Christian, they don't pray much. People that pray a lot and spiritual adults don't talk all the time. They listen. They're, 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 they're slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, quick to pray, quick to forgive. This man then, when he did get the chance, though, brother, I want you to know, he laid it down straight. And it was the oracles of God when he spoke. And then he said, men, brethren, and fathers. He called them brothers and he called them fathers. He gave them respect. He gave them the respect that they were due even when they weren't due it. Now this is a man. Man, this is a real man. Tonight let's open this up and begin it. And we'll take it up here tomorrow night. I'm going to introduce the first step. There are five steps to the development of the reborn human spirit or the education, the development and the education of the reborn human spirit. Step number one, practice love and walk in faith. Galatians 5, 6 says, faith worketh by love. Love is the mother of faith. When you begin to exercise love and you begin to walk by love, you begin to realize that love never fails. 
I don't care in the face of what looks like doom as you begin to practice love. You begin to practice loving. I didn't say do it when you feel like it. I said practice it. I heard the testimony when I, I never will forget this man. I, he, he impressed me so highly. I was just a little, uh, well, I wasn't a little boy. I was almost a teenager, but uh, his testimony impressed me tremendous. He found the Lord in the penitentiary. He was a four-time loser, had been given life, arm robbery and several other things. And um, he, he found God in that penitentiary. And he, he, he didn't know anything about the Word. He, did, he didn't know anything about the power of God. He had nobody to teach him. And he began to realize the power of love. And he started in to love. He made up his mind, I am going to love. I'm going to love. I'm going to practice this thing called love. Love is God. God is love. And the practice of love will produce a place to use faith. Because a lot of people, brother, you can't love them without some faith going. You know that? Some of you are a little hard to love. Some of you are harder than that. And some of you are downright impossible. It takes faith. <laughs> and when you start moving in that area of love, Jesus said, well, you won't just love one another for Said the sinners do that. What thank have you when you do that? You begin to practice love and practice it on purpose. Practice it and watch it work. Do things with no self-motive involved other than the development and the perfection of your love and the perfection of your faith. And Satan will begin to throw things in front of you. You exercise your faith and God will move them. And this man, this prisoner, began to exercise faith and love. And he said, uh, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to put this love to work. And he thought, who is the most unlovely man I know? And that was an, almost an instant response. It was his jailer. The man that was directly over him over, and had jurisdiction over him, he hated him with a passion. He hated the man, and the man hated him. And he thought, oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't love that guy. I mean, that guy's mama couldn't love him, you know. I can't love him. There's not any way. I can't love a man like that. But he did anyway. And he said that when he would come down the hall, I'd just have to take over my consciousness and just make myself think that God loves that man and he died for him and I'm going to love him anyhow. And he, and he said he'd, he'd spend some of his nighttime hours thinking, I love so-and-so, whatever that man's name was, he'd say, I love him in Jesus' love. I love him in the love of God. I exercise my faith in this thing, and I love this man, and I love him. And do you know, before very long, they became very, very fast, close friends, and he won the guy to the Lord. And he went up, they moved him then, they put him down in the dispensary, and he, and they, he got to practice in this. He'd love people just on purpose, just, just to watch the reaction of the man and love him. He didn't care if the guy spit in his face. He wasn't loving him trying to make a friend out of it. He was loving him just practicing love. See, he wasn't doing it selfish. He was doing it just practicing his love, just practicing love, practicing love. He made a decision that he was going to be a, a, a man of love, a man of the God kind of love that loves the, the iniquity and loves the meanness of the meanest part of a man and loves him just because he's a man. See, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's been practicing this thing all along. Amen. So he said he got the hardest man that he'd ever 
met in all of his life. The hardest man to love that he had ever come across. It was an old lifer dying of TB in the, in the hospital, in the dispensary where he was working. And he'd go up there, and this old man kept a cane by him all the time, wouldn't let anybody get close to him. And uh, uh, he'd go up there to minister to this man, and he'd start up there to say something to him, and an old man would whack him across the shins with his cane. And say, he, he said you almost had to sneak up on him to, to give him his medication or to give him anything because that old man hit him with that cane. And he'd wait till he was asleep and sneak up on him, you know, to, to, to set his medicine down that thing like that. He said, that man would absolutely try you when you started trying to love him. Said you couldn't get close to him. You couldn't talk to him. There was no way. Said you'd, you'd call his name and he'd cuss you. Just didn't want any part of you. No way he wanted any part of you. An old man was dying. And he said he stood there and watched him die. Stood there and watched him, watched him slip away. And he kept thinking, old man, I love you. Old man, won't you let me get close to you, old man? Please let me get close to you. And he, and he kept trying to love him. He kept practicing his love on him and, and using his love and using his love, trying to get close to that old man. And that old man, even when he was so weak, he could hardly talk. If you get up close to him, he'd grab that cane and grit his teeth and try to swing it at you. Bitter to the dying end. And he said that night he knew that old man was going to die. There wasn't any way he could live till morning. And said he was over there praying for him. And loving him with everything he knew how. And said he heard something. And it was the old man. He could hardly speak above a whisper. And he called him over. And he crawled up there next to him and got his ear down over next to his mouth. And he said, I'm sorry. Whatever it is you got, got to be real. You're the only man I was never able to break. And he led him to Jesus. And he slipped on away, praising the Lord because that man's love. He got him in the midnight moment of his life, practicing love, practicing, a practitioner of the love of God. Practice love and live by faith. Live by faith. Living by faith. Walking in faith. Do you know what it means to walk in faith? To live in faith? To have your life sustained with the power of God? Having your life sustained by faith? Like Jerry was talking about up here earlier. Uh, you begin. You make up your mind. The things I have, I'm going to have by my faith. I, the things that I do, I'm going to do in my faith. The things that I say I'm gonna, are going to be faith words. And I, I'm living and operating according to the faith that dwells within me. And my God is my, my source of supply. My only source of supply. And I discipline myself to my faith. And I made up my mind that that's the way I'm going to get it. Thank God we're not going to scheme anymore. We're not going to just do things trying to get the people to give, trying to get the people to pray, trying to get people to do this or get people to do that. Thank God I'll just pray. 
I remember when I first went into this ministry and I told God, I said, there's one thing I'll tell you right now I'm not going to do. I'm not going to put pressure on people in offerings and I'm not going to look to people from a source because I said, I, I'm going into this thing and, and I'm going into it on the basis of my faith and I'm standing before you right now and I'm saying it in the name of Jesus that if I get anything, I'll get it by my faith and I'll never borrow a dollar. Now, this ministry will never owe a man a dime and it never has, thank God. We've bleed for it and paid our bills in advance all the way through. But the decision to that had to be made. And do you know what I actually thought? I actually thought that if I went on the radio or if I went on television or that if I conducted meetings like this, that people would appreciate somebody that didn't browbeat you every service you came into for two hours taking up an offering or preach 13 minutes out of 15 asking for money. That's all y'all talk about all the time. I hear you bellyache about it 24 hours a day when I'm around you. Talking about the way, why well, nobody, he just talks about money all the time. You know, I thought people would appreciate it so that they'd just pour the money in, but no, I found out I was going to have to believe for it even more. I found out you've been trained that way. You don't pay any attention to anybody unless they stomp your feet and then stomp your ears. You might as well say amen. Well, some of you know it's so. And I'd get so frustrated and I'd say, God, I'm, I'm trying my best to do this right and above board and do it with my faith. He said, well, then quit crying about it. <laughs> Go on with your faith and quit crying about it. I was in a meeting one time. I'm not even going to tell you where. <laughs> Some of you might figure out who it was. And um, I, I got in there and, and, and I just plain out got robbed. There just wasn't any two ways about it. I mean, you know, just, just stole my money. And actually, I was a hundred, about $145 in the hole for having gone there to preach and found out um, through, you know, different avenues that the only reason the fellow invited me down there in the first place to get a crowd together so he could get some offerings and pay off some bills that, that were back due. And, <laughs> oh my. Um, at the close of the service, I realized what had been done. <laughs> well, me being me, and uh, it was about <laughs> one o'clock in the morning, and my wife and I had gone to bed. Oh, I was a fuming. Oh, I was burned. And uh, this was back in the early days. These folks wouldn't have it, but what we'd stay in their home didn't cost anything. That is another thing. And see, he, he, he and his wife was over there in the next room. And here we were in this room. And I'm laying there steaming for about an hour. I said, get up. We're going home. She said, in the middle of the night, I said, yeah, get up, man. We're going home. I've been robbed. She said, she said shh, hush. He'll hear you in there. I said, bless God, that's who I want to hear me. I've been robbed. I said, I just did what I wanted to do. I'd go in there and get him out of bed now. Oh, we'd get on with it here. He'd earn that money. 
Oh, I was mad. I was so mad I could hardly talk. Just a few minutes, you know. Just wanting to get up and just, I'd spit on the curtains if I'd have got away with it. Oh, I was so mad. Oh, well, now, that, you know, that's not God. There's not any way in the world. See, that's, that's baby stuff. And um, I knew better. Don't, don't kid yourself. I knew better. I was bigger than that. She said, you hush now and you calm down. Praise God. Said, you know better than act like that. Said, we're not getting up here in the middle of the night and causing trouble. Said, you just lay down there and go to sleep. I said, bless God, I'll lay down. I don't have to sleep. <laughs> and I went and laid down there. I laid there till about a quarter of four and I said, get up. And this time she got up. We packed our duds and left. And I was mad I could hardly find a highway. I still wanted to go back and fight. We started out the driveway and I got the newspaper. I said, bless God, I earned that. <laughs> now, isn't that, baby? Isn't that foolish? That's foolishness. Boy, that's as baby as you can get. And the further I drove down the road, the boy had started eating on the inside of me. Started festering up in there. I knew I was wrong. I knew I was wrong. See, the Bible said, where there's strife, there's also confusion and every evil work. I was wrong. I don't care what anybody did to you. That's no basis to sin. Sin's not justified on any level. Do you know that? It's wrong. I don't care where you do it. In secret or other what? It's still wrong and it's still sin. And I'm just driving along there. Finally, my wife just decided she's just going to, you know, she's going to pray her way out of this thing. And she started praying and reading the Word of God and believing God. That just made me that much matter. And she, we're driving along there, and she's a praying and praising God over there. And I just see, just gnashing my teeth, you know. And I knew she was right, and that's what that made it worse. And, and the further I got along here, and finally the Lord spoke to me and said, you better get a hold of this. You better get a hold of this. This is going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you right down in there. That small voice, the reason it was so small, that's not really a small voice. The reason it's so small is because you're making so much noise you can't hear it. That's right. A guy can be shouting, but if you got the door shut on him, there's no way you can hear him. And it was a very small voice. And I didn't want to hear that. And finally, she turned around and said to him, said, you better get a hold of this. And I, I said, well, all right, praise God. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive me, forgive me, forgive them. Thank God. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't do that to hurt me. He got caught in that trap. He got caught in it. He didn't know what he was doing. He was hunting the way out, and I should have provided it for him. And I started crying out to God and praying in the Spirit. Broke it. Thank God for praying in tongues. I don't know what some of you folks that's got you, the mouth of your spirit struck dumb have been doing. But in cases like this, thank God for it. Some of you say, well, I don't need to talk in tongues. Well, you're not ugly as me. <laughs> Boy, the Bible said the man speaks an unknown tongue. He speaks not to men, but to God. And that's just the man I needed to talk to. And I couldn't get my head to work long enough in the right line to do the talking. I had to shift it over and let my heart do the talking because my head was in sin. Broke the power of the thing. And drove along there for the next hour, hour and a half, praising God. Praising the Lord. Praising the Lord. Praising the Lord. I knew I had it whipped. Knew I had it whipped. Driving along there, and every time the thought would come to I start praising God. Start praising the Lord. See, now, now I'm practicing the faith. 
Now I'm living by my faith again. I got it back over in the motion. And then along about two hours, the Lord spoke to me. And uh, he said this. He said, may I ask you a question? And I said, yes, sir. He said, who did you dedicate yourself to? And I said, you. He said, who's your boss? I said, you. He said, have I not proven to be sufficient to take care of your needs up to now? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, uh, are those people down there your source of supply? I said, no, sir. He said, well, did I say I'd meet your needs up until today and then cut it off? I said, no, sir. He said, haven't I always met your needs? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, why don't you shut up your belly aching and let's, let's drop that behind and leave that there and let the people be blessed with what you preached. He said, son, I'll take care of it. I'll pay you bills. What's a hundred and a half? I said, forgive me. My God, how stupid can a man be? How stupid can a man be? Listen, a man honored and privileged to be called into the ministry of Jesus Christ ought to be willing to spend $150 and get somebody made free. Isn't that right? Well, praise God, I've spent as high as, as 100 and up to high as 1,000 times that much money at one throw to, to get to preach the gospel to some folks. Spend it every month, every month on radio and television. Well, not radio anymore, but television. Many times that much money to get the opportunity to preach to people. I got my head straight, started practicing my faith, using my faith instead of schemes and, and all that, and we stopped in a place to eat. And there was a man came in there that I knew, sat down and talked with us at the table over in the state of Louisiana. And we were going to drive on over to my wife's folks' place. And uh, drove on down there, sat there and talked to him for a good little bit. And I made mention of where we were going. In fact, I think he asked me if we were headed on back home, and I told him, no, we were going to stop off in Arkansas. And that night late, after we had driven into Arkansas and we are sitting up talking to my wife's folks and visiting, you know, and so forth, telephone rang late, late that night. And uh, it was this man I had seen over in Louisiana, he said, Brother Copeland, I want to ask you to forgive me. I said, why? What did you do? He said, God spoke to me and told me to give you some money, and I didn't do it. He said, I, I drove away from there and didn't do it. And he said, I, I knew to give it to you, but I just didn't. He said, I want you to forgive me. And I said, well, certainly. He said, give me an address that I can send it to, and I'll put it in the mail tonight. And so I gave him the address. And the next couple of days, I got it there in the mail. And you know how much it was. hundred and a half. <laughs> See, God paid my bills. God paid my bills. I didn't have to say anything to anybody about it. I could have left there under, under a lot better circumstances, thank God. Thank God. And should have. Never have been caught in that trap since. Because I've learned how to use my faith. Thank God. Amen. The way you're going to learn it, folks, is by practicing it. And practicing it, and practicing it, and practicing it, and practicing it. And then when about time you think you got it made, you better start practicing it for serious. Because you're going to get the chance to use it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.